This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael. So it's another Fast and Furious episode of the Grown Up Rock podcast, and we just decided, hey, we don't need no stinking Hollywood tonight. So I decided to invite a few friends in to take Hollywood's place. And so uh, Brad Rustoven, what's going on? How's it going, Steve? We're doing all right. And I've got also Kevin Williams with us. Hey, what's up, everybody? So Kevin and Brad are listeners and just killer Saxon fans, and that's what we're here all about tonight is going down the Saxon road. We all know from previous episodes that uh, my co-host and uh, partner in crime, Sonny Hollywood Pooney, is not exactly the biggest Saxon fan, but that's okay because we got enough Saxon fans here on the line to talk about Saxon all night long. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go through some of our favorite Saxon songs. We're going to give you a little overview of the band and how we got into the band. And then at the end of the podcast, I was fortunate enough to spend about 35 minutes with the legendary Biff Byford from Saxon before their show here in Atlanta. And I'm going to play that interview for you guys towards the end of this podcast. But before we get rolling down the Saxon Road. Everyone's got a rock and roll story to tell, and we want to hear yours. So go to our website at growinguprock.com. That's one word, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K.com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. All right, so just like the lovely and talented Miss Samantha says, everybody's got a rock and roll story to tell. And what that means specifically is exactly what you're going to hear tonight. Myself, Mr. Rustoven, and Kevin giving our Saxon rock and roll stories. We're going to tell you guys how we got into the band and why the band is important to us. 
and why the band should be important to any hard rock and heavy metal head out there because they are legendary status. Would you guys agree with that or what? Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So let's, uh, let's get into this. Brad, Rustoven. Yes, sir. Give us your Saxon story. How did you end up getting into Saxon? What was uh, the beginning for you? So, yeah, so I'm 46 years old and I've got a, an older brother, three years older than me, who was a heavy influence in a lot of my growing up rock story. Other than Kiss, I got into that on my own, but, but a lot of this other stuff was thanks to him. So, so in about 80, 84, 85, I was 12 or 13 years old and he was just getting into high school and bringing home all kinds of different different music for me to steal out of his room and <laughs> and listen to but the saxon thing happened i think we either or he saw a video you know i mean other than mtv if you guys remember radio 1990 and you know night flight uh, you know we we feel like some of those videos probably from the innocence uh there's no excuse album were were on there and and he would go out and and we had a a store in my hometown in Nebraska, actually, where you could rent records. You know, this was the day, you know, where you weren't sampling stuff, right? You couldn't couldn't get on iTunes and, and sample stuff or YouTube and that type of thing. So we would rent records and dub them and get to enjoy them for a bit. And then if we really liked them, we'd go back out and and buy the buy the full thing. So that was kind of my exposure to Saxon. He went out and, and I think got Innocence is No Excuse and then slowly went backwards. That was kind of my exposure to them to begin with. I mean, I remember seeing some of those videos for Strong Arm of the Law, Princess of the Night, you know, those those performance videos that they had. But Crusader, Innocence, that was kind of my kind of my intro. Yeah, and that's a little bit different intro because no excuse for the innocent. I mean, that that started down the path of a little bit more commercial Saxon, which was different than what a lot of the world knew at the time. How about you, Kevin? What was it for you? Yeah, so my story is completely different. I'm basically the same age, but I started getting into music about 1986, 85, 86, and I was a little skater punk. So I was into punk rock and... Then I kind of got into thrash and, and started getting into metal from there. My first exposure to Saxon was sort of the same time frame, but I had a different reaction at that point in time because that's that's part of what I consider the non-holy trinity of Saxon albums. Right. You know, I've grown to appreciate them now, but at the time, when I think I saw a video from Innocence is, is No Excuse, and I, I just thought it looked silly at the time for whatever reason. Sure. And I should have done what Brad did, which was work my way backwards. Had I done that, I would have been a Saxon fan much earlier on. So I sort of didn't really pay that much attention to Saxon. And I didn't have MTV where I grew up, so I didn't really have that much exposure to videos and things like that. So it was really through tape trading and whatever your buddies were into and whatever we were skating to at the time. And most of that was a little bit heavier stuff. But I, I did get into you know Maiden and all the, all the typical great metal that was out there. And then it wasn't until I think right around 2001 that I kind of saw Eagle Has Landed 2, which is, you know, the second live album they put out. I saw that in the store. And for whatever reason, I thought, oh, I should give this another shot. And I did. And I ended up just absolutely loving that album. I loved how heavy it was. And 
And so then from there, I just really started digging and going back through. And I realized what a mistake I had made by not paying attention to Saxon all those years. Yeah. But ever, ever since then, I've been really hardcore into Saxon. Yeah. So I've got a two or three years on both of you guys and uh, like Sonny and I talk about so often two or three years in the 80s uh, in terms of music was a lot. <laughs> it was a big deal. Yeah. yeah, it was a big deal. Big difference. It was a big difference. And for me, around about 82, uh, I used to get all my information out of the magazines. So I went to the record stores on the weekends and they would get in the import because it was an import Krang magazine. I started reading Krang magazine. I was reading Cream and Hit Parader and Circus and all those other magazines as well. But Kerrang! was the gateway, the door to the new wave of British heavy heavy metal. Uh, they were the first ones covering it because it was a British mag. So I discovered a whole lot from that magazine, and it wasn't all British bands. There were, there were U.S. bands in there as well they would cover that I heard about first like Riot, right? Yeah, like Riot. I loved Riot. I, I always thought I always thought Riot was an English band because of that. <laughs> yeah, nah, huh? New York, as a matter of fact. I know. Yeah, it's crazy. But uh, I got the Eagles Landed, which was put out in '82. It was the first Eagles Landed live record, and from the opening riffs of Princess of the Night, I was sold. I wore that freaking tape out. Uh, and then I worked my way back and working my way back from the first Eagles landed only includes denim and leather, strong arm and law and, uh, the first Saxon and the first Saxon didn't come to me right away. I, I, I kind of stopped at strong arm of the law and, uh, denim and leather because I had read that the first Saxon was, uh, vastly different and, uh, just wasn't, you know, wasn't, wasn't what the band generally became. And then Wheels of Steel, of course, too. So Wheels of Steel, Strong Arm of Law, Denim and Leather. Yeah, that trilogy. And, yeah, that, yeah that's the, that is the holy trinity right there of Saxon albums. Yeah, I would agree with that, including the first Eagles landed for me just because that was important for getting me into the band. And it was Princess of the Night that really got me going. For people that aren't that familiar with Saxon or that are coming into this new, so just a real quick, broad overview of who Saxon is, what they're all about. I mean, for us on this call, it's they're a legendary status and established as one of, to me, one of the three bands that were cited as far as the new wave of British heavy metal. It was Saxon, it was Iron Maiden, and it was Def Leppard. Those were the three bands you heard about. There were a lot of other bands involved with it, but those were the three most popular bands I think you heard about in the new wave of British heavy metal. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, I would probably yeah. throw Judas Priest in there too, but... Yeah, even though they weren't really, even though they were they established really before it, kind but, of before it. Yeah, yeah, I would, yeah, I would as well. That's why I didn't throw them in there, is because of the fact that they were kind of established at that point. Yeah, yep. But everybody lumped them in with that crowd because I mean their sound is just so so dead on with what what everything else was doing, especially with yes. Maiden. Oh, a absolutely. And Saxon and Maiden for me almost came parallel. I mean, they almost came to me at the exact same time. 
Yeah, yep. Maiden for me actually may have been just a, a hair in front, but not by much. I think really I was discovering all this stuff at the same time. And, you know, for me, if my thrust into hard rock and metal was Van Halen, uh, I listened to other guitar-driven rock beforehand, but Van Halen was really probably the first, like, hard rock band that I went ape shit over if they were the ones that kind of thrusted me into that the new wave of British heavy metal bands Saxon being one of them is what really just catapulted me into the entire world of hard rock and metal that's what opened the door for me so that's why Saxon was such a important band to my you know my early hard rock and metal years yeah and I you know I was thinking about as you were saying that, because I did come into it a little bit later as far as me knowing who Saxon were, but I was trying to think of what my first reference to Saxon was. And it was Metallica. I remember Metallica talking about those bands that influenced them like diamond head and Saxon and all the other, you know, British new wave heavy metal bands that they would talk about at the time. We're talking like 86, but I remember Saxon was one of the ones, one of the main ones that they would point out that influenced them. Yeah. So the band was formed in 77 when really two separate bands kind of came together. One band uh, that included Biff Byford on vocals and uh, Paul Quinn and the other band that included Graham Oliver and uh, uh, Steve Dawson on bass. Dobby. Yeah, Dobby. Exactly. Dobby. Yeah. (laughs) The two bands kind of came together and became Saxon round about, you know, 79 or so. And, you know, from there, they just kind of started moving forward, got their record deal and the rest is history. You have to mention their first name. Yeah. So the the first name, the band was originally called Son of a Bitch. Right. But beforehand, <laughs> uh, so me, me and Biff talk about that briefly, but the band that he and Paul Quinn were in were called Coast, and the band that Graham Oliver and Dobby were in was called Sob, uh, which, you know, is an acronym for son of a bitch. So, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think the label made them change that uh, for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, they're just, this is a band that has gone through so many changes over the year, hopping labels, went from the French label to the, um, to EMI. And, you know, they had a lot of success in Europe, uh, thanks in part to Motorhead and getting that first tour with Motorhead. But, you know, eventually I personally sort of lost track of the band right after, innocence is no excuse and i didn't really come back into it till much later but uh, i was a rabid fan up till innocent is no excuse how about you guys yeah you know so it's, it's interesting hearing kevin's story and how it was kind of the opposite of of mine because again when i was getting you know really into the the hard rock scene you know whether it was you know 83 84 85 my ear was, you know, was going that commercial direction. And it's, you know, I was talking about my brother, his ear was going <laughs> towards the heavier, heavier stuff. And so we kind of went opposite, opposite directions. So when I got introduced to Saxon, it was uh, like you said, Stephen, it was during their commercial 
you know, kind of their more commercial years, you know, with the, with Crusader and Innocence and, and even Rock the Nations, you know, that's, that's what I, you know, kind of call my, my sweet spot, I guess, for them, just because that's when I was getting into music, uh, you know, hard rock music a lot more. And, and that's what Saxon had to offer at the, at the time. So that's, that's kind of why I went that direction with, you know, we'll go through some song picks and, and I kind of, I kind of centered on that era yeah, because of it. Kevin, have you been there all along or did you drop off as well? Well, I mean, like I said, I didn't really, I didn't really go full tilt until, you know, it was the late nineties, early two thousands. So I have been on board since killing ground and you'll hear, hear some of that later, but I went, I went backwards. I love every single album now. And I, I'll tell you what, when, when you told me we were going to do this, I actually went and got all my albums out and I, I laid everything out and I was starting to look for all the titles. And I'm like, Oh my God, this catalog. I mean, the band's catalog is amazing. These guys have been going since 79 and they haven't really, the only time they took off was kind of after the, the unholy Trinity after destiny, they kind of took a little bit of time before solid ball rock yeah. came out in 91 and they've kind of been going steady ever since then. I mean, yeah. they just don't take breaks. Yeah. They just keep going. And, and they have, not to mention they have numerous live albums. So, yeah. you know, if somebody's listening to this and, and they're thinking about getting into Saxon, I would go down the path of picking up one of the live albums first. And either one of the Eagle Has Landed albums are great. Well, actually, there's three. Three Any of the Eagle Has Landed albums are great. And then there's also a movie. I want to go ahead and point this out before I forget. There was a movie called Heavy Metal Thunder that came out in like 2010, 2012, somewhere around there. It's really good. If you can find that maybe on Amazon, I don't know if it's still... I don't know if it's still in print or not, but it's, it's an there. amazing, yeah, it's an amazing movie that really covers the entire career. I mean, some of these band movies, they'll cover like a certain era, you know, they, they'll cover like what the most important areas to that particular band and they kind of skip over the bad years. They go through everything in this movie. It's, it's very encompassing of their entire career. Yep. So feel free to go through the growinguprock.com Amazon link and purchase Heavy Metal Thunder, <laughs> the Saxon movie. I think it's twenty seven. I think it's twenty seven ninety eight. There you go. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, what do you say we get into this? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna go through some of our favorite Saxon songs top five at this moment of course because we've already talked about it's so damn hard to put a top five label on a band with a catalog like this but we're not going to play every song because otherwise this episode's going to be like <laughs> you know three hours long and i just released a three-hour episode today and i don't want to do that anymore <laughs> so <laughs> so we're going to play a few songs but the great thing about the songs that we're going to talk about tonight is I think that we cover pretty much all the different periods of the band's career, which I think is really good. We don't cover every album, but we definitely cover all the periods. Would you guys agree with that, uh, with the song list that we have tonight? Yeah, I was so surprised when I saw yes. everybody's picks. I thought, I thought everybody was going to be picking from the usual suspects, and man, it was all over the board. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, like we want to do here, we want to try to play some deeper tracks and give some exposure to other things other than the typical stuff. And I mean, it would have been real easy for me to pick all my selections off of Strong Arm or off of Denim Leather because those were the records for me. That's part of, you know, 
those are by far probably my favorite Saxon records just because I identify with those two records from my youth uh, more than anything else. But that's just me. So yeah, we d- we didn't we didn't have any duplicate songs, but we had a couple you know some songs off of the same albums. I think is what mm-hmm. what ended up ha- happening. So yeah, all right. Well, Brad, why don't you kick us off? What do you got for us first? Yeah, so so I'm starting off with 1984's Crusader, and so that was the first that was the first actual cassette or the actual first purchase I I had made of of a Saxon album, and you know, going back and, and, uh, again, thinking that I had probably heard, heard some of it from my brother. I remember the crusader video. <laughs> if you guys remember that thing with the, the ships and all the, yeah, all that stuff going on. But when I looked at that album and, and the song that, that always stuck with me was, was sailing to America and yeah, and, you know, it's an, a melodic song. I always, I always liked the delay on Biff's voice during the verses. And as funny as this is, Stephen, you brought up Def Leppard as a new wave band. You know, I kind of think of Hello America, you know, off mm. of On Through the Night when I kind of thought of this song. Because I, I knew it was a British band. I knew they were both British bands and they were talking about talking about America, you know, in, in these particular songs. So that uh, that's my that's my first pick. If you're a band called Saxon, isn't it just a prerequisite that you have to have an album that's called Crusader? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> I mean, just look at the logo. It's a you know battle axe, of course. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. I may have chosen that album just because of the cover. If you remember how, how awesome that cover is. Yeah. That cover art is is something else. So yeah, that, that, if that doesn't say lent to why I bought it. You, you like this record, <laughs> right. uh, Kevin? I do, and I remember when I watched the movie. Uh, part of, something that Dobby had said was that they had watered down this record a lot, and I I hear that. I, I hear that it could have been a little bit heavier. You can't mess with the title track, but the rest of it is not quite as heavy as it probably could have been. But it's still a, it's a great album. Yeah, I think my favorite tracks off this record are probably Crusader. I like Sailing to America. I like Just Let Me Rock as well. Yep. Yeah. Yep, it's yep. a great one. Awesome great songs. You're up, Kevin. All right, so if I had to pick a favorite Saxon song at the moment, the one that I always go back to is, and, and let me just go ahead and point this out before I before we talk about the rest of my picks. Saxon has this uncanny ability to title their albums from what they consider to be either the the most awesome song or one of the most awesome songs on the record. And it works out every time (laughs) I I can only think of, I can only think of ACDC who does kind of the same thing, but every Saxon album, if you go with the title track, more than likely you're going to be impressed. That's going to be the strong song. And so same thing here, their third album, strong arm of the law, the song strong arm of the law, just an incredible song.
absolutely one of my favorites, a classic Saxon tune, no matter how you look at it. And, you know, it's weird that you point that out because I never really thought about it, but you're a thousand percent right. It is absolutely. If you go down their albums and pick the title track that the album is named after, you're usually going to be pretty much okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's uncanny how they do that. I mean, ACDC is the only other band I could think of that kind of does the same thing. Yeah. But I'm sure there are others, but that's just who comes to mind. Yeah, you're right. That's awesome. Great pick. Great song. Love that song. So that that brings me to me, and I'm going to go straight from Kevin's strong arm of the law to the record Denim and Leather. Uh, And to me, these are kind of sister records. I mean, they really are. Absolutely. You can throw a dart, whichever one of these records your dart hits and whichever song your dart hits, you're going to be fine. Both of these records are fantastic start to finish, in my opinion. And I throw in Wills of Steel. I think that really is a trilogy of albums that you could put on. And unless you really know, you're not going to be able to tell which album the song's off of. I mean, those they just blend so well. They're so strong. Yep. And so for me, on Denim and Leather, it was the song that first took me away off of the Eagles Landed live album, and that's Princess of the Night. It's the leadoff track on Denim and Leather, and it is such a powerful song, powerful live. They still do it live today, and it's just, I I just love this song. There's nothing bad about this song. And so that's my first uh, song selection, Princess of the Night. Love it. Almost made my list. Great, great song. Yeah. Don't they usually, Don't they, it's usually towards the end of the set, too. It's a closer usually, it? yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was in that uh, last concert that, uh, that Kevin and I went to, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that was the closer that night. Great song, yeah. Yeah, Brad, you like these records, Denim and Leather and uh, Strong Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, then that's kind of, I, I avoided them just with this list. I mean, I figured you guys would pick a couple off of those, those first three and I, yeah, I just decided to go a little bit deeper, but yeah, you can't, you can't complain about them and you can't deny how good they are. So I just wondered was, was there a culture shock for you if you were coming in on innocent as no excuse working backwards, getting to albums like denim and leather and strong arm and law, was there any kind of a culture shock because definitely less polished records that both yeah, of them are. A, a little bit, but you know, I mean like princes of the night is melodic, you know, in the, you know, in, in the chorus and, yeah. And a couple, you know, a couple of those songs off of those first three albums, I always thought have a real ACDC feel to them. Mm-hmm. Just the, you know, those riffs yeah. are, to me, just sound sound like ACDC stuff. Over the years, they they definitely grew on me. Right on. All right, what you got for us, Brad? Yeah. So next, so I'm going just a, a year later from from the Crusader album with Innocence Is No Excuse from 1985, and you were making the comment that Stephen, that you could have chosen <laughs> five songs off of denim and leather or, or strong arm of the law. I, I could have chosen all five songs off this album. I mean, this, this thing has just really stuck with me. I like every song on it, tried to avoid, uh, avoid the singles. I mean, broken heroes rocking again, back on the streets. I mean, those are all great songs. But, you know, and had videos, but I, I decided to go with 
a song called Devil Rides Out, which I, I think just has a killer, killer riff. Actually, it kind of reminds me of a of a riff that might have been on a you know early '80s Judas Priest album, and uh, you can decide that for yourself. So, so give it a listen.
Yeah, so I hadn't heard this song in quite some time, and uh, I love that song. It reminded me how many uh, good songs are on this record, and so, yeah, I really enjoyed hearing Devil's Rides Out off this record, uh, so good choice on that one. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, how good is Paul Quinn, man? Oh, my God, his guitar work is just amazing. Oh, He's, you know, along <laughs> yeah. with Biff, those two have been in the band the entire time, and you cannot deny the power of Paul Quinn. No. Really awesome guitarist. And the uh, album cover for Innocence is No Excuse is actually one of my faves. Yeah. I love that album cover. Yep. <laughs> it's just so cool. Is she of age or not? What do we think? Well, it says Innocence, so I'm assuming not. No. She, she looks pretty young, but she also looks like uh, one of those models that's younger looking than she actually is. You know what I mean? They actually are, yeah. yeah. Uh, care, careful there, R. Kelly, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm just calls it like I sees it. I ain't entering into no territory. No killing me. <laughs> All right. You know, if I thought, I thought this would be the one album that I could bring to that idiot Hollywood and that he would finally see the Saxon light and go, okay, well, this is pretty good. And so he... He likes back on the streets. He goes, I played the rest of the record. Didn't like any of it. Jesus. I mean, this kid, <laughs> what am I going to do with this guy? <laughs> you, you need to give him destiny. I bet that's the only one he would like. That might be the only one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. No. Give, give, him, give him ride like the wind and let him go with that. Let him, yeah. Let him run with that. I mean, for the love <laughs> of all that is holy, if I give him destiny, he likes it. Is that, is it worse that he just, he likes destiny or that he just doesn't <laughs> no, like Saxon no, at we'll, all? We will accept him to the fold. If he likes destiny, that means he likes some part of Saxon that's not there anymore, but we'll, we'll bring him into the fold. Oh my God. I don't know. I think I'd rather him just hate. I think I'd rather him just hate Saxon than, than like destiny. <laughs> Love you, Hollywood. <laughs> the funny thing about destiny. So, so as we're talking about that album, I don't think any, there are any picks off of that one, but the funny thing about that album is when I got the, cause I, I, you know, again, I journeyed backwards. So I would go to used record stores and I would find Saxon albums. And that one was pretty easy to find for some reason. But the one I got had a, had a big pink sticker, promo sticker on the front of it. Yeah. And it says in big, bold type, the Kings of new wave of British heavy metal. Like they were trying to sell destiny <laughs> when it came out God. as a new wave of British heavy metal. Mm. And you're talking 1988 new, new wave of British heavy metal was done. Yeah. That they wasn't were, a term were, anymore. Yeah. But they were <laughs> referencing what Metallica was referencing so they could try to sell this damn album. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, I still thought it was really funny because if you listen to that one, it has nothing to do with the new wave of British heavy metal. That's no. where they veered the most. All right, yep. that, that's enough Destiny talk. I need to cleanse myself. Right. Kevin, what do you got <laughs> to cleanse me? Oh, what well, I got, I got a great, great, great song to cleanse you, oh, and that is God. my next pick is off Denim and Leather. It is the title track denim and leather <laughs> once again kevin sticks with his theme and he is a hundred percent correct denim and leather an awesome song <laughs> can't go wrong with it man what uh, what are what are you is this your favorite track on the record it probably is yeah it probably is what about you brad 
yeah, I think I think Princess of the Night is is probably my favorite off of there. But again, you cannot deny denim and leather. Um, I don't know if you guys, I assume you guys are familiar with uh, that metal show. Um, do you guys mm-hmm. remember they were interviewing Marilyn Manson on there? That yep. might have been on there with him, if if I remember correctly. And Manson, he he had made a comment about how important denim and leather was. <laughs> to, <laughs> To him, and I think he quoted the you know that the lyrics you know of the of the chorus and 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 everything during that episode. I thought that was really really cool that he it's gave the not, an, kind of a nod to it. It's such an anthem, you know. It's yeah. such an oh, anthem yeah. for metalheads. Uh, yeah, for sure. Denim and leather bought us all together. I mean, come on, denim and leather bought us all together tonight, right? Set my spirit free. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Princess of the Night, Denim and Leather, uh, Play It Loud. Uh, I, I actually like Never Surrender as well. The good tune. Sure. I don't think there's a bad track, to be honest. No, there's no. not. And what, what two bookends? I mean, Denim and Leather closes out the record. So you got Princess of the Night opening it up and Denim and Leather closing it out. That's crazy. Because it's their rock and roll all night, you know? Yeah. They want to end strong with that anthem. Yeah. Yeah. Great choice. Yeah. Great choice. All right. Well, that brings me to Strong Arm of the Law, and I am going yes. I am going to pick the song 20,000 Feet. Great song. Great yeah. song. What brought that to the forefront of my mind is they recently played that. Did they play that when you and I saw them, Kevin? They did not. Okay. So they played it on the ship because they they did the part where, and they did this at the show that you and I saw, Kevin, where they give you a choice. Do you want to hear this or this? And they give the crowd a choice of which song they want to hear. And they give them a couple choices and crowd applause. And by the loudest applause, that's what they play. And whatever it was up against that particular night, I want to say it was up against the song Eagle Has Landed. And the crowd cheered much louder for 20,000 feet. And so that's what they played. And it was kick ass. Love that song. How good is the version on Eagle has landed as well? I oh, mean, yeah. That's just whew. definitely, definitely. So, uh, so yeah, that, that had to make my list uh, after seeing that uh, scathing version of uh, 20,000 feet on the, on the boat. So that was my choice. So. Brad, that brings us to you. What you got for us, buddy? All right. So, so now I'm, I'm yeah, I'm fast forwarding what 20, 20 plus years <laughs> in their, in their career. So I, yeah, I kind of lost track probably after forever free, which, which came out in the early nineties and then got back into them and, and started, uh, buying stuff again, you know, probably inner sanctum timeframe, you know, 2000, 2007, again, music had changed, right. We could stream stuff. We could, you know, li- listen to stuff or we're getting songs out way before the albums come out and that type of, that type of thing. So, but I'm, I'm going to call to arms, which was 2011 and chose a song called chasing the bullet. And, it just, I mean, that song, actually, that's just a great album <laughs> all, all together. Is. But that that song, that driving bass line and that crunchy riff just grabbed me. And, I mean, during the chorus, the, you know, chasing the bullet um, vocal, along with kind of the 
I guess I'll use a, you know, ACVC style lead picking, you know, going on during that, during that chorus as well. It just, it's just a killer. It's just a killer tune. Yeah. Love, love this song. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Call to Arms uh, later on, but Call to Arms was an important record for me going forward, but love chasing the bullet. So yeah, that's, that's a brilliant album. And, um, that was actually, that was the hardest one for me to find on vinyl for some reason. It took me forever to track that thing down. <laughs> um, cause I, when it came out, I, I downloaded it cause that's what I was doing at that point in time. And then I kind of wanted to start beefing up my vinyl collection and I had a lot of Saxon albums, but that one I could never find. So I only recently got that on vinyl and I've, I've been wearing it out. It's great. Awesome. All right. You're up. Yeah. So, so my other, the other thing that I really got into at the same time I was getting into metal was I, I started getting into like prog rock. So I like a lot of progressive music as well and intricate kind of things and more epic kind of stuff. And uh, Saxon actually has kind of a, a little bit of that side to them as well. The, the guys in Saxon are such top notch musicians. So they're very technical, um, not all the time, but when they want to, they can bring it out. And they also have that whole thing where they write those epic battle anthems and um you know it, it <laughs> yep. just goes with their name right they have that yep. they have that ultimate british heavy metal i'm gonna write the war anthems yeah. you know the i think the song my next song that i'm picking is it's from 2004 but i kind of see it as a sister song to crusader the song i'm talking about is off the album lionheart and it is the song lionheart here i go again but it, it's like the sister song to me to crusader so if you're into these anthemic metal songs Lionheart is a brilliant one.
So that was Lionheart off of, again, an album called Lionheart. So, 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 I'm sticking to my formula. So Kevin sticks to his formula. He doesn't stare us wrong. This song is a great song. It's still in the set today. They played this both on the ship and at the show that Kevin and I saw. I'm unfamiliar with this period of Saxon, but this is a song uh, that I enjoyed quite a bit. I'm not sure that uh, it is absolutely a sister song to Crusader. I see where you get that 100%. But I'm not sure that this kind of thing is my bang zone for Saxon for me. I think I fall probably in line more with Brad, where I like a little bit the more melodic Saxon, the less lengthy Saxon, the shorter songs. That's just me personally. But... I do enjoy this song. I do enjoy some of the other songs on this record. Uh, so, yeah, I like it. Lionheart. 
you know, we haven't, we haven't talked a lot about tempo changes, you know, with sex. And again, they don't have them in all their songs, but this song remind kind of reminded me of Maiden a little bit, but that, yeah, just, just a cool tempo change, you know, during the chorus and, and, uh, yeah. good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's one of their more power metal type of albums. You know? mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a whole genre of power metal bands that play all the festivals in Europe. And, and that's to me where this album was really going. And uh, I think at the time they said that they didn't think they could top this album. When it came out, they were thinking this was the best album they had ever made. Yeah. And I, I've read that in several places, and they even reference it in the movie, which I thought was interesting because to me, they just continue to write great albums. But Agreed. Uh, so that, that brings me to my next pick. And so I'm going to forge forward because to me, the last three Saxon records really have been extremely strong records and i thought that we needed to kind of call attention to at least one of those and so thunderbolt uh which is the latest saxon record very strong record produced by andy sneed and he's just done a, a terrific job with those guys on battering ram on Thunderbolt, and then he he also he didn't produce it, but he also did some work with them on Sacrifice. And the song that I've chosen is one that they're playing in the set, and it's kind of an ode to Motorhead and Lemmy. Uh, this is a song called "They Played Rock and Roll." Stay! 
So, you know, yeah, one thing we haven't, I guess, talked about, you know, on this call is when, you know, when was the first time we saw him? And, you know, this, this last tour, obviously it was not the first time I saw him. I saw him first in 2013 and have seen him four times now, but I saw him on the, on the Thunderbolt tour opening for Preet and they did this song. Great nod to, to the great Lemmy. Awesome. And the other thing is if you, if you listen to that song and just pay attention to the guitar lead, how much does that sound like fast Eddie? I mean, I think it's Doug Skerritt playing most of it, but man, he nailed it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so that's that's a great song off of Thunderbolt. There are several other songs on that record that I enjoy quite a bit. I think it made uh, my top ten this year from last year. Made my top ten. At the it's another amazing album cover too. Yeah, I mean oh, these God. guys have some amazing covers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like. And leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. And just like the lovely and talented Samantha said, uh, go subscribe to our podcast. If you like what you're hearing, then subscribe to the podcast and it'll come to you absolutely free of charge. And you won't have to worry about whether we got a new episode or not because it'll just show up on your phone. It's fantastic. Check that out. All right, so it's back to the discussion and back to our friend Brad. Brad, what do you got for us now? Yeah, so stay in a little more recent with my fourth selection, and this comes off of the End of the Labyrinth album from 09. So as I had mentioned previously, I kind of I lost track a little bit, you know, during the mid to late 90s, early 2000s, and then got back into them in the mid 2000s. And and then this this album, Into the Labyrinth, second song on there is called Live to Rock. And what I think is so cool is the intro, kind of the, the slow build as this, you know, keyboard, keyboardy synthy thing is going on. And then this riff this riff of of all riffs, I just absolutely love it. Kicks in, band kicks in, got a big anthemic chorus to it, and actually the the riff during the verses, there's you know there's a lot they leave a lot of space you know in those chords, and it it just grabbed me and and is one of one of my go to uh, more recent Saxon songs for sure. What did it grab you by? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The nutsack. <laughs> R. Kelly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, Live to Rock. So Into the Labyrinth was an album that I was not that familiar with at all. Uh, and so I went and uh, took a listen to some of this stuff and really enjoyed it. Needless to say, uh, I went ahead and purchased this record because I liked uh, Live to Rock and I liked some of the other stuff I was hearing off that record. So thank you for that, Brad. You bet. Yeah, and ever since, so Doug Skerritt joined the band on guitar in 97 with Unleash the Beast. Ever since he's joined, man, they have just been on this steady progression. So 97 onward until last year's Thunderbolt. It's just a steady progression of just killer albums. You may not always hear about them. Like I, I remember Into the Labyrinth came out. I didn't even know about it. 
I just all of a sudden I saw it on iTunes or something like, oh, God, I didn't even know there was a new album out. But man, they have just been so steady, so solid. Great, great song choice. Yeah. What you got for us, Kevin? Okay, so I'm a bass player, so I got I had to pick a song that has some major <laughs> bass doodling on it. and uh, Major so stuff there. Major yeah. bass on this song. So they've had, uh, so Dobby was the original bass player and uh, the man with the mustache. And he, uh, he was really good, but uh, they had a guy in between name. I think it was, I think it was Paul Johnson, if I remember correctly. They had a guy on a couple albums and then they got Nibs. Uh, Nibs Carter, and he is just a killer bass player. I mean, just so good. Um, and there's actually a, a bass solo piece on Solid Ball of Rock, which you should check out if you like to hear bass stuff. Um, but the song I'm picking is off 2001's Killing Ground. It is a killer, killer song. And in the middle of it, Nibs has this amazing bass solo. So that's my next choice. And so you said the song you were picking is off the album Killing Ground. Can I assume <laughs> that the song is also called Killing Ground? Did, did I not say that? Yes, no. I'm sticking with my formula. Sorry. Killing Ground. Then you don't off even have Killing to say Ground. it anymore. You don't even have to say it. What a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So, so I went and listened. I went and listened to this song and you know, Saxon is is an interesting band, and I actually mentioned this to Biff in the interview, where most bands get older, and as they get older, they kind of get, you know, I don't know if it's poppier, mellower, they, they mellow out. Saxon's actually a band that's gotten heavier over the yep. years. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. so, so what they once were is much different than what they are now. They're still... You know, there's still little flashes of the band, so it's not like the band's a completely different band, but Killing Ground is a pretty damn heavy song. And for me, I enjoyed it. It's just a little bit out of my bang zone for <laughs> Saxon, that's all. <laughs> Isn't it awesome that we're talking about, all three of us are talking about the same band and we come at it with all these different angles? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, great, great song. Again, cool tempo changes during it. And that great, that bass breakdown, Kevin, that you mentioned. I mean, when I, when I went back and listened to it and I'm like, oh yeah, this is, this, this, this helped, helped Kevin's <laughs> decision, yeah. I think, with this song. Cause that thing is, that thing is great. Yeah. yeah Nibs is amazing. And, yeah. and such a great live. Performer. Oh, really good live. Man. Yeah fantastic showman he is he is definitely a focal point of the band live because he's just uh very visual he's he's really good live very steve harris like with his movements and just his energy uh, yeah i i actually think he has even more energy than steve does i mean he he was doing roundhouse <laughs> kicks with his bass at the show you and i saw i was like what the hell is this guy karate chopping shit yeah yeah and i don't i mean I can't imagine he's that much younger than the rest of the guys in the band. He's just, he's in good shape. <laughs> yes, that. he is. Yeah. Uh, so that brings me to my next pick. And uh, the song that I chose, I chose because, first of all, in my conversation with Biff that's coming up after our we get through all this, Biff kind of talks about this album being sort of, 
important to the band in terms of sort of reestablishing the band after they took sort of a sidetrack, let's call it. And, and by sidetrack, I mean that piece of shit destiny. Uh, <laughs> but but this, this got them back on track. Uh, and, and Biff talks about that a little bit. And the song I chose is Solid Ball of Rock. Give it a listen.
song, great guitar driven riff. You know, and what's funny is that riff reminds me of a slowed down version of great whites shot in the dark i don't know how familiar you guys are with that song but it go back and listen to it it's 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 actually it's it's pretty cool and and something else we haven't touched on i think this is the first song that's had it but biff's trademark whistle yeah (laughs) That's right. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to think how many songs he does that in, but he, I mean, he certainly does it live. I mean, I've, you know, he, he does, he does, does that live, uh, during some of the songs, but that, that whistle, I always thought was so, was so cool in their songs. True fact. You guys thought that Molly Hatchet was the only band that could do a whistle in a song, but not true. <laughs> Saxon yeah. has several songs in which Mr. Byford, uh, pulls out the whistle and, uh, gives it a two. i i love i'll tell you what i lost my mind when they played this song live uh on the boat it was the crowd went ape shit they they whipped this song out on the boat and it sounded kick ass man it was Was so good one of the uh request songs it was not actually. They, oh, wow. They just threw it in the set and it was in their second set, not their first set, which was another cool thing. The band pretty much played two completely different shows. I mean, they had a couple of repeat songs, but they played two completely different shows. And the second set that was out on the pool stage while we were sailing the ocean was unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable. I can only imagine how cool that was. That would have been great. So you're up next, Brad. What you got for us? All right. So, yeah. So for my fifth pick, I'm going back, going back to the mid eighties album called rock the nation song. Look at that. I'm I'm pulling the Kevin. I'm I'm taking the title. (laughs) title Um, So this was, don't mess with the formula, man. Yeah. Right. This is right before Destiny. So, I mean, 1986, you know, we're right in the hype of the hair bands and, and hair metal. And, and obviously Saxon, you know, kind of went went in that direction a little bit. But this this song, I mean, great riff. Lyrics about being on tour, you know, going to a concert, you know, that type of stuff. Biff's Whistle is in this song as well. But the just during the chorus, you know, the give us the stage, turn on the lights, Fire up the sound. We'll rock the nations. Give it a listen.
I dig it. Good tune. I like it. Can't go wrong with that album either. No, has me hoisting my devil horns up high, baby. And it, it's part of it's part of the unholy trinity, but it's still great. It's a- <laughs> yeah, it's a good tune. What you got, Kevin? All right, this is going to be a shocker. We played the sister song earlier, so here we go. The title track from the Crusader album, Crusader. This song, man, it gets stuck in my head, and I think I must hum or sing part of this song in my head every day. I don't know why. It's been stuck in my head forever. Yeah. It's just really powerful. Yeah, I like this tune. Probably my, probably my well, probably my favorite song off this record, maybe. That's close. For sure, off, off that record. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, think, I think, again, I think that album could have been mucho heavier, but they couldn't take the heaviness out of this song, no yeah. matter what. Yeah, yeah. It was it was funny. So I obviously leading up to this episode, I was I was spinning uh, Saxon quite a bit, and in in the car with my my son in the car, and Crusader came on, and that that Crusader voice, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. came on a couple of times, and he his I mean he's twelve, but he was he just looked at me, he's like, what was that? <laughs> you know, he was like. Badass. That was awesome. Yeah, I'm like, I'm like I, I told him, hey, I was your age when I bought this cassette, <laughs> so so there's no no reason why you can you can't enjoy it too. So yeah, it's got a little creepy factor to it, which it I love. does. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Not in an R. Kelly way though. <laughs> no, <laughs> we've we've referenced R. Kelly way too many times in this episode. God dang it. <laughs> All right, so that brings me to the last pick of the night, and I talked about this album briefly a little bit earlier on. Brad played, uh, or he didn't play, but he talked about uh, choosing Chasing the Bullet off of the Call to Arms record, and this is actually a record that, in my opinion, does screw up uh, the formula because the song Call to Arms is not necessarily a great song off this record to me it's a little bit slow a little bit orchestra uh driven what what do you think about the song called arms i mean i agree it's not the usual usually when they have a title track it's going to be the rocker yeah and and they didn't do it on this one yeah. so you're you're absolutely right yeah but this album is important to me because I told you that I sort of lost track of the band after uh, Innocent is No Excuse. And I lost track of the band for a good while because it was actually called to arms that brought me back into the Saxon fold. That one was the one that came out and I heard a couple of songs and I was like, oh, hell yeah. And I went and I got this record and just started moving forward again with the band. And I've gone back and checked out a lot of the stuff I missed, but it's great that we can do episodes with this because I get to go and hear like Live to Rock and uh, Rock the Nation and stuff like that, which is awesome for me. But the song that I chose off a call to arms is the leadoff track and it kicks ass. This is Hammer of the Gods.
choice great song yeah up tempo and just yeah just solid i figure if, if we've got to end this conversation <laughs> that's a good way to end it right absolutely absolutely yeah. 
you know where you're going to get backlash because there's, like I said, the catalog is so huge <laughs> and there's so many songs and, and people are probably screaming right now wherever they're listening. They're like, you didn't include anything from Wheels of Steel. You know, I, didn't, I didn't include a lot of shit, but here's the thing. Power and the Glory. Yeah. Yeah, oh, God, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Power and the Glory is great. Here's here's the thing is that there's no way to include all the killer Saxon tunes. There's way too much. But in this episode coming up, you might just hear me slip in a piece here and there, maybe from Wheels of Steel, maybe from some other stuff. I don't remember because I put it together when I got done recording it. So at least you're going to enjoy this uh, interview with Biff Byford. It was cool for me. He was awesome the entire time, and uh, it was just really fun getting to sit down with him and talk to him uh, for 35 minutes or so. Uh, it was awesome. That's so cool you got to do that. Awesome. All right. Well, gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, I appreciate everybody jumping on and sharing your Saxon stories with me and with the listeners. You know, Hollywood, what can we say about him? He's probably, uh, you know, out with R. Kelly at this very moment, for all we know. He's He should be streaming Destiny right now. He, he should be right back here. <laughs> He's already bought five copies of uh, Jeff Scott Soto's latest record to hang on the wall. <laughs> well, yes, Stephen, thank you so much for the invite. It was great. Kevin, it was it was a blast, man. Yeah, good to good to talk to you again, Brad. Thanks, thanks a lot, Stephen. And uh, I guess I'll be seeing you around around Atlanta at some shows. Oh yeah, of course. We'll uh, we'll definitely hang out at some upcoming shows because there's a lot of good shows that are coming up. Uh, but yeah, once again, gentlemen, I appreciate it, and uh, you guys uh, enjoy this upcoming uh, Saxon interview with Bip Byford. See ya. Uh, from Saxon, you're listening to Grown Up Rock Podcast with Stephen and Hollywood. Crank it up! Welcome to the Grown Up Rock Podcast, Biff Byford. How are you today, brother? I'm doing good. I got a bit of a cold today. It was really nasty weather in Nashville. We were out in the rain trying to get something to eat, so I got a bit of a chill today. But it should be all right tonight. Yeah, looking forward to the show. I saw the set list. I am psyched beyond belief. Yeah, it should be good. It should be good, the set list. And, you know, if you got a little bit of a cold coming on, of course, the Monsters of Rock cruise coming up, which will uh, get you a little bit of heat. Yeah, I mean, it's just I got a bit of a virus, you know. Yeah. So, you know, I'll take it steady today and um, explode tonight, really. Awesome. Let me ask you this. What was it for you in the early days that kind of flipped the switch for you and made you become a fan of music, rock and roll? What made you want to do this? Well, funnily enough, my best friend's brother was in a band and he he was a big sort of blues fan. You know, he played a lot of sort of uh, John Lee Hooker stuff and a lot of that early stuff, but he was into, uh, he was into Chuck Berry and you know, Johnny Be Good and all that sort of thing. He learned me to play a couple of chords on guitar, a couple of rock chords, actually, root and fifth, 
So I got hooked on it then, really. But obviously, you know, growing up in the in the fifties into the sixties, pop music was massive. You know, the the Kinks and the Who and all those bands. We used to we used to listen to them on the radio. You know, the illegal radio in in the you know out in the in the, in the sea because they couldn't broadcast it in England. It was against the law. So all these great stations like Radio Caroline, Radio Luxembourg, we used to listen to that in bed, you know, trying to tune in on our little transistor radios made in Japan. So, yeah, it was it was a cool time. Difficult, but a cool time, you know. Because you started out a bass player, right? I was a bass player for many years, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in a band, before I met Paul, I was in a band playing bass and doing backing vocals. And before that, I was a guitarist. I played in a, in a school band, you know, playing guitar. So I've always been into the musical side of things uh, rather than, you know, just concentrating on, on vocals. So um, me and Paul were in a band together called Coast. I was a bass player, singer, three-piece band, jamming, a bit prog blues type stuff, you know. Did you always know you could sing or did you did you just start out playing instruments and somebody needed yeah, to sing? Yeah, I thought I could always sing. I used to sing a lot, um, mm. you know, to myself back in the day. But yeah, I knew I had a voice, but I didn't know it was... Uh, it's not particularly the voice, all the voice. It's the, it's the knack of writing great hooks and melodies and things as well. That's what goes with it, you know. There's a lot of, there's a lot of great singers that sing other people's songs, you know. It doesn't mean to say they're not great singers, but I was more into the musical side of things as well, the songwriting, you know. Yeah, you know, and that's a fantastic point because you can be the best singer in the world. You know, what is the description of the best singer in the world? Is it range? Is it tone? Is You know, whatever. But if you don't have a great melody to sing... That's right. You know, you, you like I say, you can, be the, you can be the greatest singer in the world. And uh, if you don't connect with people through melody and lyrics, then... You know, it's um, you're just a different type of singer, really. Yeah, that's right. What about the overall influence of the band? So when the band kind of came about, what direction was the band wanting to take? I mean, you ended up hard rock and metal, but was there an overall influence? Were there bands that you guys looked at when you were starting out that said, you know, this is this is what we love? Well, there was two bands when we first started. There was a band that... Um, you know, Graham and Steve were in, called Sob, to cry, to sob, right. you know. And uh, there's a band that me and Paul were in called Coast. And yeah. uh, we're both rival bands on the on the sort of Yorkshire circuit. This was all before Son of a Bitch, right? Yeah, this yeah, was yeah. before Son of a yeah, Bitch. Yeah. Um, I think they lost a guitarist, singer. So they asked, they asked me if I wanted to join their band. And I, I said, no, I'm not joining your band because I'm in a band. I made a band with Paul. Yeah. At that point, we lost our drummer. And uh, we had a meeting, went down to a gig and jammed. And we said, well, let's let's start a new band, you know. And I said, call it Son of a Bitch. Uh, so we did. And it was in that punk period. You know, we were heavily influenced by the punk movement, especially Sex Pistols, Clash, things like that, the right. more. And also we were influenced by the early rock bands, you know, like, uh, like The Who and Sabbath and Purple. Uh, but it was all mingled in. It was like a big melting pot of styles, you know. And we like the prog rock as well, you know, so that's all in there as well. Right, because the first Saxon record was a little bit proggy, wasn't it? Is, it? Yeah, no. well, a lot of them songs are mine and Paul's songs that we wrote. Right. That we sort of rejigged a bit for Saxon. But all, a lot of the songs on the first album, Frozen Rainbow, uh, Judgment Day, Militia Guard, they're all songs that me and Paul wrote in Coast. Yeah. You know, so we adapted them and took them over to uh, Son of a Bitch, which ended up being on the first, first Saxon record. 
which I think was the difference in my perspective early on in the new wave of British heavy metal movement, you guys, Maiden, Def Leppard. I always felt, even though I've heard Harris say, we're not a punk band, I hated punk. That first couple Maiden records had a punk vibe to it, whereas Saxon was more straight ahead hard rock metal. You know, it was the way the music was performed for me with the yeah. punk. It was more aggressive. Yeah. wasn't quite so, you know, solo-based, you know, long organ solos and guitar solos. Right. More in your face. So I like that in your face element. And I think Steve did as well, actually. I think that's what he picked up on. Yeah. You know, because, uh, you know, Running Free is quite punky. And I think Diano bought a little bit of the punk vibe. I yeah. mean, his voice was a bit, yeah. bit punkish. And, and then, you know, for Wills of Steel, it changed yeah, a bit, you know, to me, drastically. Yeah, you know. Yeah, we just we just found a new sound, you yeah. know, a new style, like Maiden did, and uh, we went for it. So we're here. You guys are playing a gig tonight in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was talking to you a little bit before we started recording. And "Power and the Glory" in '82 was recorded here in Atlanta with Jeff Glicksman at the helm. What are your recollections of that uh, time period? It was a great period. I mean, it's Axis, I think, studios. I don't That's know if correct. It, I don't know if yeah. it still exists or not. Uh, I don't know. I met a girl in, in Atlanta, and uh, I spent a lot of time with her, actually. So, Yeah, but I remember, the, I remember the, doing the album. It's great fun. You know, Jeff was a, a great organ player, so we used to jam with the Hammond organ a lot. Yeah. But, yeah, it was a great time. It was the first album we did. Outside of the UK, really. Actually, it wasn't. At first, we, at first somebody outside of Europe, because we made an album at Abbott's studio as well, Denim and Leather. Yeah. So we had, you know. But yeah, it's um, it was a great experience. You know, we stayed in Atlanta for like three months, so we got to know where all the party places were. You know, we were running, running with quite a rock and roll set of people. Right. That was your first album with Nigel as well, right? Uh, that was, yeah. yeah. No, well, actually, the live album was his first album. Yeah. But yeah, first that was studio. the first album, yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was, yeah.
so the band has always been kind of a hard rock and metal band in my eyes, but you guys definitely experimented at times, especially in the 80s with commercial, some of the records, uh, No Excuse for the Innocent and uh, Destiny got a little bit commercial. And so you guys, your career has kind of gone from prog as we we talked about on that first one but to hard rock metal then to commercial then back to kind of that hard rock metal straight ahead and then in my opinion where most bands as they get older they mellow out a little bit you guys went the opposite way and got heavier with these last several records so i guess my question is what drove that direction was it the band was it management was it record companies me. <laughs> Biff. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I took, you know, after the Innocence Destiny time, you know, up to Solid Ball of Rock was a pretty big album for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I decided to take the helm and um, dispense with all this um, experimentation and trying different, you know, trying to get a radio hit type thing. and took the band uh, in a more, you know, a more 80s direction of straight down the line rock music, you know, with the heavy metal overtones. I mean, we did a bit of, you know, we were still quite big in Europe, so we did a bit of that. Uh, you know, we, we we moved over a bit more power metal a bit in those days. But um, we, we did some defining albums. You know, Metalhead is a great album. Mm, fantastic. Unleash the Beast. I mean, they're all great albums. So I think from releasing albums con- consistently that were, like, interesting, you know, for people, then I think we got a lot of our fan base back. Yeah, looking back now, 30-plus years later, how do you view, like, no excuse for The Innocent and Destiny? How do you personally view those two records? Well, I think Destiny, uh, I think Destiny in particular, I think the band were in a bit of a crisis around that point. I think we lost focus a bit, lost interest a little bit in what we were doing, really. And uh, it was in an album, you know, the producer put on a lot of keyboard stuff and stuff like that. So um, I think we lost a bit of interest, really. Uh, Innocence is no excuse. Uh, it was a great album, you know. It, there's some great songs on there, you know. Broken Heroes is great, um, you know. Back on the Streets, pretty rocky. Yeah, there's some good stuff on there, you know. Uh, we just produced in a certain way that was lighter. It was a lighter production. And I think it was our first album with EMI. So I think they maybe wanted us to go a bit lighter, try and make some of their money back, you know. And we, we sort of went down that road. But, you know, to re-record that album, Innocence, would be great. There's some good tracks on it. You know, like it opened with a really slow ballady track, which is like a bit of a mistake. You know, they should have opened me back on the streets or something a bit more powerful. I, I mean, personally, I went back and revisited No Excuse for the Innocent, and there's a lot of stuff on there that I like. Mm-hmm. I've always been more of a melodic person, so it wasn't probably, it was not a hard sell for me. No, a lot, a lot of people love it. I mean, it shouted quite big in some countries. I preferred it to Destiny. Destiny had a couple of tracks on it. Yeah, that- Destiny was a, was, a, was a bit of a damp squid. Yeah. Really. And like I said, the band were in crisis, you know. We'd, we'd lost a bass player and, you know, the boys, you know, we just weren't coming up with the great guitar riffs anymore. And then throw Rock and the Nations in, in that mix because I think it's sort of in line with those records. I wrote the Nations is definitely more uh, straight in your face. We recorded it very quickly, you know. But there, again, on there, there's some there's some songs that are a bit weird. Yeah, oh, you know, for a sure. bit left field. You know what I mean? For sure. 
So how does Elton John come to play on that record? Well, Elton John was in the studio at the same time, and Gary Lyons, the producer, produced him. Yeah. So that's the connection. Okay. And we just wanted him to play on Party to Your Pook. We thought it'd be like irreverent for him to play on that. So. Yeah. But we're having fun, you know, it's just a fun thing. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't know him personally. It was something uh, just Not a, until that point. Yeah. yeah. I did then. Obviously. He ended up playing on two tracks on that. He did. Record, we right? sampled him. We sampled him while he was rehearsing. Oh, really? On one of the very first stereo samplers. That's awesome. Uh, that we ever used, actually. Yeah. We were in the Phillips, you know, Phillips on the studio in Holland, Visselord. So they're, they're sort of. Um, all their new technology ended up being tested there. So tell me this, because we've come full circle and these last three records, well, speaking specifically of Sacrifice and Thunderbolt and Battering, uh, Ram. Battering Ram. How did your relationship with Andy Sneap come about? Well, we've known Andy quite a long time from when he was in Sabat. You know, they, they played with us quite a lot, Sabat. So we've known him since he was like 17, actually. No, we were at a festival together and he asked me, he said, I'd like to work with you. You know, uh, I just done Kill Switch Engage or I think it was Kill Switch Engage. And um, I said, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll work together. And about a year later, we did um, Sacrifice and he mixed that album. So that was the first one he did with us, yeah. You produced sacrifice i think with andy that's right yeah doing the dolls and then at some point uh on battering ram and and thunderbolt you said all right kid well <laughs> because, because he recorded it yeah he didn't record sacrifice we okay. recorded it with somebody else yeah but um yeah he did a great job you know Man. great job i'll tell you what that relationship with you guys and him uh, is unbelievable, has produced some unbelievable stuff in the, at least in my opinion, in the communities that I run in. Yeah. Um, uh, very just positive, you know, feedback on not only his work, but the work he's done with you. And then obviously the firepower record that he just did with Priest is probably some of the best work that everybody has produced. Yeah, I think, I think working with those, he's got a template that, you know, works with British bands, if you know what I mean, from yeah. that era. So, great, great. He's a, he's a Brit as well, right? He is, yeah. yeah. Okay. He is. So, with all the iconic rock bands, most of these iconic rock bands that I grew up with now, at this point, are getting on in age. A lot of them are going on and doing these farewell tours, things like that. How do you view that of your peers? Because uh, your peers are the ones that are out there you know, doing some of these farewell tours and stuff. How do you view all that stuff? I don't really, I don't really see the farewell tour thing. I, I mean, I don't know. If we stop, we'll just do a tour and then stop. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just uh, any tour could be our farewell tour. You know, fair enough. If you get ill, you know, yeah. and you can't go and so, you know, people should go and see the older bands anyway, regardless of whether it's a farewell tour or not, because we're not going to be around forever. No. You know, now we're still going on. You know, I've just written my solo album, first one ever. So that's going to be coming out in January, I think. Now, is that drastically different than uh, sax no, and there's, stuff? There's, some things are, some things aren't. There's a two or three really rock and roll tracks on there, you know, heavy rock tracks. There's a prog track on there. There's a full on metal track on there. There's a, a couple of. 
there's a love song on there, you know. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's all about lyrics and words and voice, this album. Yeah. I've got some great musicians on it, though, but they're adding to it, obviously. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Are you playing with people you wanted to play with? Yeah, I've got friends. Frederick from Opeth. Okay. Who's phenomenal. Yep. You know, I've got a uh, friend of mine who's a bass player who's played with us when Nibs was sick. He'd done, done Nibs' job, so he's obviously an incredible bass player. I've got a couple of drummers on there. But, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. What do you think of the next generation of rock and rollers? Is there a next generation? Well, you've got a few bands like Greta Van Fleet, haven't you, and all, all those younger bands coming along. I wouldn't say they were unique, though. I would say that they're stylized from older bands, you know, from the, from the 70s. It's pretty cool. I like this stuff. I think they're good. But I'm sort of looking for a new British rock really you know and my son's in a band you know he's he's mixing up heavy rock and grunge and a bit of indie stuff together in a new style of music so you know there's some very young uh very young british bands around you know what's the name of his band uh, naked six okay don't ask me they're, they're, <laughs> they're three piece they're really good check them out on facebook yeah and then what does your son do what does he play or sing or he's a he's a guitarist singer it's a okay. three-piece band yeah okay but um yeah he plays good good player you know it doesn't do long drawn-out solos you know but he does do solos but it's mostly into the songwriting theme it's very 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 sort of punky rock you know yeah. bluesy stuff great right great they're cutting their first album uh in april so Awesome. Should be good. So, upcoming Monsters of Rock cruise, is there any bands in particular or artists in particular you're looking forward to? Well, I know most of them. Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, <laughs> things like Choir Boys, they're big pals of our, we know Tesla pretty well. Now, there's a lot of bands on there we already know, so there's going to be a party boat. Yeah. Going to be a party boat. Well, I, I like to hear that. Yeah. We'll, we'll sit down and have a glass of red wine together. Yeah. We'll do that, <laughs> mate. Yeah. Cocktail. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're bringing two or three bottles on. Oh, great. Awesome. Well, so what's next for Saxon in the uh, whole process? You're going to finish this year continuing to push Thunderbolt? Well, we no, we're doing our 40th, 40th anniversary. Actually, tonight is the 40th anniversary show. Okay. We've been doing the, we didn't advertise it as that don't ask me why somebody fucked up somewhere but anyway it should have been advertised the 40th anniversary but it's been advertised thunderbolt. but it is thunderbolt uh-huh. we are doing a song from thunderbolt but it's actually a 40th anniversary set list okay. uh, as you've seen from the set list, yeah yeah so awesome. uh so when we get back from uh, latin america we we start doing the 40th anniversary big big shows in europe uh you know with eagles and castles and shit like that and sure so it should be good are you guys doing anything special on the boat for the two sets that you guys are doing? Yeah, we're doing two entirely different sets. Okay. Yeah, because we can do that. Yeah, because <laughs> you can. Yeah. Any front to back, you know, strong arm and law. No, or we're not doing like that. that. No, 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 we're not doing that. No. We've done that. We did that in Japan. I think we did it one time on the last boat. Yeah. But, you know, it ends up being a, every, because the albums are only like, what? <laughs> the, the, those <laughs> two know, records are very aside, short. Really, yeah. So, the, you know, you can't minutes. really do a full set of one album. Yeah. You can now because there's more songs and the longer. Right. But back in the day, you know, you had to keep the length of the song down a bit. Right. Or just do less songs, you know. Which I think is probably would be the best thing these days simply because I think people have musical ADD, you know. Yeah. It's like on to the next, on to the next. They can't stick with a whole record. No. 
No, no, they, they, they do flip around a lot. Most of the records back then were kind of like that. I mean, if you look at the Saxon records or pick a record, Van Halen records, they were they were literally 29 to 33 minutes. Yeah. The shorter they were, the louder the, the, louder the vinyl was. Yeah. That was the tear. Yeah. So we used to, you know, these, uh, these uh, cutting engineers, Frank Marino in New York and a few of the other guys, they were really experts at getting a loud cut on, on the vinyl. So that's where we used to send everything back in the day to other. Los Angeles or, or New York to have the vinyl cut. But yeah, you know, it's like a lot of the prog albums then. It's like one song on one side and like maybe two songs on side B. So it's like crazy. Yeah. You know, we try to get people turned on to new bands that maybe sound like the old style of rock and roll. But then we also have a lot of young listeners that maybe aren't familiar with some of the bands we grew up in. If I was a new fan that doesn't know anything about Saxon, give me an early album you would tell me to go listen to and and maybe one from the second half of your career that you would tell would me to go. Say, I would say um, it's not to choose from uh, our second, third, and fourth album, but I would say probably... Strong Arm of the Law, the middle one. Yeah. It's a great album. But all three albums I've got, yeah, I don't think there's one bad track on there. I, I started with The Eagle Has Landed. Yeah. That so, was it for me. You know. So, yeah. So, um, and of the newer ones, I would say, you know, Lionheart is a great album. Yeah. That's right in that period of our big comeback, you know, with the fans. And obviously the new ones as Inner well. Sanctum's quite good as well. Yeah, like they're all one. good. Yeah. You know, Into the Labyrinth is good. I don't think we had a bad album. For the last maybe, I mean, you know, a bad album, bad album. But I'm just saying every album we've had, I think for the last 10 albums, they're all pretty good for me. I couldn't really pick one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? They've all got something on there that's fantastic. You know, Metalhead was a game changer for our sort of uh, genre. You know, we mix the darker side with the more heavy rock sort of major keys. So Right. Awesome. Biff, you've been super cool. I appreciate your time, my friend. As you can hear, I've got a cold sniffling away there. That's all right. We'll get you some tea. Yeah, get me some tea and some brandy. Some humidity. (laughs) Yeah. That's what you need. Thanks, sir. No problem. See you later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys.
Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at IntoHistory.com.